Hi everyone, welcome to the 25th episode of In The Vitrine. My name is Nadia. And this is Danny. And today we're going to talk about our time in Melbourne last week for the Critical Fashion Studies Conference at the University of Melbourne. So both Danny and I were presenting um, our papers. So I was talking about stolen, angshamagam and the Singapore fashion identity. And Danny was talking about the aesthetics of use. Mm -hmm. So we were pretty much presenting things that we have been working on and continue to work on. Yeah. And the first day of the conference opened up in a very very beautiful way where I've seen this trend, well, not trend, but movement towards acknowledging indigenous presence of every land. So when I attended Dory Turnstall's uh, panel talk in Cumulus in Bogota, Colombia, she acknowledged the 100 over indigenous tribes that actually own the land. And similarly, the first thing that we did for the Critical Studies Conference was to have this smoking ceremony where we were outside of the building. And a, a lady called Kelly Hunter from the Wurundjeri tribe people, um, which is an indigenous um, group that was the primary owners of the land in Melbourne before and before and that area uh, before, obviously, uh, Western colonization happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So she began by um, giving a little insight into this, and, like, she read something that her father had written in the native language, and then she set fire to and made some specific leaves, I forgot their names, um, to start smoldering on the ground. And then... Um, she encouraged us to be washed by the smoke and she welcomed us to the country. So that was really lovely. Um, and, um, I mean, the University of Melbourne campus was beautiful on its own, right? It was yes. very leafy, it felt very collegiate, it was um, really nice. And thereafter, the conference opened with a panel discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about... Um, labour practices. Labour practices, yeah. that's right. So it was chaired by Dr. Shelley Marshall. Um, then the panellists were Dr. Kanika Mashram, Dr. Tim Connor, and Bonnie Graham. Mm-hmm. So Bonnie Graham is from Baptist World Aid, and she was talking about... I guess, you know, like labour practices and how um, people are treated, you know, in the garment industry mm-hmm. uh, or the garment manufacturing industry. Yep. And they were talking about, you know, practices that were, I guess, not so positive. Um, and they were talking about also this act that had just been passed in Australia, right? Yes. The, the Modern Slavery, the Modern Slavery act. act. So, yeah. yeah, apparently it's been passed in a few countries and now Australia's having it. But they were also talking about how even if we have certain acts, it doesn't mean that the reality is mm. it's changing for people in the industry. And she also mentioned how the Baptist World Aid, they have this kind of ranking system to rank different brands to see how ethical and to create a more transparent knowledge about each brand for con- for consumers. Yeah, so it started off, well, there you have it, right? The conference started off on a rather serious, kind of bleak note. <laughs> um, and they were talking also about how they, you know, were interviewing people sometimes um, about labour practices. And, you know, sometimes the government workers, the government manufacturing workers wouldn't even be um, cognizant of, like, the rights that were available to them or they didn't want to speak because they thought that, you know, they wanted to protect their livelihood. So it's a very complicated kind of um, situation. Yes, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the word. It's very complicated, very complex. Mm-hmm. Um, what the UN calls wicked problems. Wicked problems. Wicked problems. <laughs> yeah. So, well, there were two and a half days of the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, two days were at the University of Melbourne, at Arts West. Um, and the last day was at uh, the National Gallery of Victoria, or NGV. Mm-hmm. So, I presented my paper first um, on a panel called... Cultures of Hybridity. Cultures of Hybridity, yes. So, uh, on the panel were Tommy Zi and uh, Johanna von Pesold. And I was the last presenter. So... In a fashion conference, there are usually multiple parallel sessions going on, which means that essentially we have some moments where we gather as a whole kind of conference and we listen to keynote speakers, um, but then we break out into groups. So at any one time, there are usually two to three panels taking place in different rooms. Mm -hmm. And so for my parallel session um you know this was about cultures of hybridity but then there were two other panels taking place one called critical fashion histories and another called fashion in place Mm -hmm. so of course we can't be all places at once um so i can only talk about my panel and um i thought my panel was very interesting for the new ideas it gave me about hybridity which is a big part of my research um understanding how designers you know cut arrange, paste, things that they find from their local cultures, heritage, design practices with what's happening globally or what's available globally. Yeah. And um, I'll talk about the two other papers first um, that came before mine. So Tommy Zhu was talking about um, the untenable flatness of practice, moralizing fashion consumption in post-socialist China and Romania. So he actually co-authored this paper with uh, Yulia Georgiou, but she wasn't um, in attendance, so he was the one presenting. He's from the University of Hong Kong. And it was a really fascinating kind of paper, very sociological. Yeah, it was um, very methodological. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So quite different from how I approach my research, which is more art historical, more about visual analysis. So for him, it was more about gathering um, responses from people about how they dress differently in China, in Romania, and comparing that, right? But there was a moral aspect to it. Yes. Yeah, so talking about how... um, Well, I remember one of the anecdotes he shared was about this woman and how she was... Um, very aware of what she was wearing so she would like go to the salon in the village and yep. like from there what happened was it really encouraged other people around her to do the same yeah um, this was a, a Chinese woman whose daughters were encouraging her to take on more modern mm-hmm. quote unquote yeah. um, ways of dressing and yeah taking like to side by side but they're both post-socialist Exactly, yeah. And, you know, it really tells us about how dress can open up opportunities um, or about, you know, just identity construction, Mm -hmm. right? And that it has real implications, you know, on economy, you know, on something external to oneself. And the next paper was equally surprising. Um, And actually, that's my favourite paper of the conference. Yeah, it was a really great paper. Yeah, so this was uh, from Johanna and it's titled Rethinking Creativity and Authenticity Along Chinese Mozambican Uh, fashion commodity chains and yes you heard that right again it's about a different kind of pairing and actually what's really interesting to me is that um, Johanna is actually a PhD student that's supervised by Tommy so (laughs) there was like supervisor and student on the same panel 
So her paper was about how there were these Chinese merchants selling uh, fabrics in Mozambique. Yes. Um, there, there was a capuletas. I think there were, that was the, the name of the type of batik that they were selling. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what I found really funny and interesting was that they would do these conversations between the local merchants and then maybe their their Chinese counterparts. And then she was talking about how they would just use very low f- kind of um, simple methods of like doing a screenshot and then doing simple yeah uh, like arrows. circling or yeah. arrows so that they can change yeah. um, the designs right and, and I love how she would say how this particular batik for example was like the hottest trend of last yeah. summer and then in the batik you could see like yin yang symbols and pagodas that's and right queens. yeah so she even mentioned that one of the um, designs the fence right which is yes. very Chinese was um, the best selling thing yeah. <laughs> Uh, in the past year. So that was really interesting. And it really goes to show how, you know, cultures of hybridity are everywhere, right? So in this situation, I mean, you have Chinese merchants who are communicating with designers in their factories in China about something to sell to the Mozambican crowd. And also some Mozambicans who make Chinese connections and then they import their own... Yeah, of things from also. the factories yeah. in China as well. And what was really fascinating also was all the um, counterfeit goods that she was talking about. Yes. You know, so things like perfume bottles mm. that would have both Ise Miyake and Chanel <laughs> names on yeah. the bottle itself. But also the different way that they look at counterfeits. Like they don't for look sure. at counterfeits like in... For us, we would look at like a fake Chanel bag as something bad, mm-hmm. but they look at counterfeits as a bad copy. But to have a copy is not necessarily a bad thing for them. No, in fact, you know, he uh, she talked about how it's really about the quality yeah. of the product. Yeah. So if the perfume itself, you know, smells good, um, <laughs> then it's a good product. Yeah. Um. So like you know, counterfeit or not, be damned sort of thing. So that was really interesting. And it also makes us think about all these trade routes um, Mm. that exist in the world. Um, So we wouldn't necessarily link China and Mozambique together, but of course they are linked, right? There are all these invisible links or links that are invisible to us um, that are in place. And, you know, what else she said that was interesting was about creativity so she was also thinking about how to understand creativity now is it bad um, of these people to create these goods that make use of you know luxury houses names not exactly right she said it depends on how they have been creative in um, making these products as well yeah i think one of the insightful comments from that panel from the audience was how we the definitions that we use in a lot of Eurocentric research don't apply everywhere. So mm. the Western ideal of the lone creative designer, the lone mm. creative genius, is different from this kind of like collaborative creativity that happens in other places so due true. to commerce. Yeah, and I think it's also to do with like how we are brought up and our worldview, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, Johanna was also talking about that. She said that um, in the East, you know, in this situation in particular then is the idea of like you're saying a team effort um, and we don't privilege one any one person over the others 
So in the West, you would have like a whole atelier creating a collection, for instance, but then there is that like one person directing <laughs> everything and that one person gets all the credit. Yes. Um, but in these kind of situation, they don't really care about credit, I don't think. You know, they care about just selling the item and making money off the item. So that's also quite an interesting way to rethink how we understand fashion or how we understand um, how fashion designers work or how fashion design collectives work. And for my paper, uh, which came after the first two, um, the title was Cut, Arrange, Paste, Angshimugam, well, Stolen Angshimugam and the Singapore Fashion Identity. And I chose the title Cut, Arrange, Paste because I see that as how hybridity works. So I see how Stolen and Angshimugam, um, these brands cut things that they see, that they you know, observe, that they like from local cultures, from global trends. And then they arrange them the way that they see fit and then they paste them in a new configuration. So that's why it's cut, arrange, paste. Um, but usually when we talk about hybridity, we think of the way that things are designed. But I opened that up a little bit more to also how they brand themselves and also to how they present um, multi-sensorial fashion presentations. And that's also a hybridized kind of a practice so what I mean by that is, um, well, Stolen itself is an interesting name because it kind of hints at how we steal things. I mean, it sounds bad, but the thing is we are all, well, there's no original thought really um, for anybody, right? And we're kind of just th taking what we see from our environment and from our surroundings and we're reconfiguring them to um, our own advantages. And um, I talk about how for them, their fashion presentations are also hybridized. So they create not just fashion presentations, but also thinking about how they put in food in their um, in the way they present their collections. So for instance, with Stolen, we talked about this, I think, in one of our earlier episodes. Mm -hmm. For the Zhua presentation, she gave this collection life through like a performance with singing, with some kind of... Um, dance I would say right um, and then she also incorporated Bhutanese food and scent so it was very much a hybridized kind of a presentation and I see the same as well for Ong Shumagam so she has staged um, for instance a collection the cruise collection for 2018 I believe at Violent Un Sate Bar and Grill and that was also hybridizing like food together with clothing and trying to figure out like an identity for the brand mm. Yeah, so that was my paper. And I thought the panel discussion afterwards was quite lively. Yeah, it was really... Like, Tommy... Is it Doctor? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Doctor Zhu. Yeah, Doctor Zhu um, kind of, like, was thinking very hard about the structure of how all three papers work together. And it's quite nice because his was very about everyday practices. Johanna's was quite... Um, driven by the creativity within merchants and cross-culture. And then yours was kind of this designer, but also the designer as the Singapore woman. That's true. I didn't even say that, gosh. Yes, <laughs> absolutely right, Danny. Yeah, so it was a really nice panel, and um, we got quite a number of questions, which were good observations as well. Um, but I must say I was a bit thrown off by the last question that was asked of me. If you mm -hmm. remember, someone asked me, um, about like yes. whether the Singapore woman is a cisgendered woman yes and, and whether that's, that's problematic, problematic. yeah you especially know? because Singapore yeah. is has the penal code and is quite um, 
legally gen uh, homophobic, right? In yeah. Yeah. And I was quite thrown off that by the question because I thought it was a bit off topic. Um, yeah. yeah. I, and I think we were discussing this afterwards and we we're thinking about how, I guess, when you have such a strong view of the world mm. and as a researcher, you kind of see everything in that lens, right? So everything you see, if you are about queer politics, then everything you see has to do with like, yeah, queering and how things are heteronormative, True. cisgender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I had to answer the question and um, I believe he presented something in the previous panel on Palestinian fashion industry. Yeah. Do you remember what he was talking about? Um, well, Palestine and Israel have a very complex relationship. Mm. So he was presenting about two brands that kind of are merging this mm. like designers from both areas right. and how they are kind of like doing fashion poli- um fashion activism. Yeah. But the second brand he he chose was quite a queer, queer driven right. activist group. Well, I wish they had asked me something about the hybridization because then I was like, "Uh, well, you know, <laughs> so it was quite it was quite funny that way. Um but I did bring in the fact that for Aung Shamogam's latest collection, she did um use or like you know ask somebody who is a lesbian to model the clothes right with Amanda Lee Cole and that she had written about um queerness as well in Singapore but I thought it was a very tangential kind of point and you know that my paper was more about hybridity Mm, so then I questioned myself like oh you know really should I think about that should my paper also bring in queer politics or you know queerness then and I thought actually sometimes it's also quite difficult to bring in too many things because then you lose the plot right so then you touch everything kind of on the surface and you can't go really deep into what you're saying I think everything does I mean all these big topics permeate everything but definitely sometimes it's about the terms that we use Mm -hmm. and who we're researching so in I think a lot of your research does look a lot at femininity and like the female experience of or, or the yeah f- the fem- Singapore women's mm. experience yeah um mediating like motherhood nation True. building and yeah. like um identity so it's yeah it's not really on topic i suppose yeah but definitely something to think about Mm. Anyway, um, we can move on now to Danny's um, panel. Yeah, so so my topic, my my panel was um, titled Use and Reuse in the Fashion Economy. However, I think we were all quite looking at it from different viewpoints. So the first panelist called Taylor Bridges was looking at, um, her title was like Uber for Clothing, Investigating the Rental Revolution and the Impact of Fashion Rental Platforms on More Sustainable Fashion Consumption. So she was looking at the share economy, basically, which we've spoken about before, mm-hmm. uh, where we spoke about style theory and that threat and all this like secondhand or sharing markets that are popping up. And one of her arguments was that actually they don't know how much more sustainable it is. It just stops people from buying more, but mm. there is a lot of other costs and energies that get produced in the meantime. And mine was more to do with aesthetics. So I was looking again at the aesthetics of use, and I used this as a term to refer to visual and structural elements in clothing that simulate or recall the effects of imperfection that wearing garments over a long time create. And so I was looking at the 80s and 90s designers like Margiela and Comme des Garçons that were using like um, this kind of raw and distressed and upcycled finishings and how in the 
tents, we've been seeing a rise of um, young designers using upcycling in their business practices and how this is driven more by sustainability than by a conceptual framework. Whereas like Com was driven Com de Garçon was driven a lot by Japanese aesthetics of Wabi Sabi. And now when we see the work of Marine Ser or Bodhi, they are driven more by um how to be sustainable in their collections. Mm. Yeah. So that was mine. And then the third paper was by Monica Andrew and she was talking about consumers engaging with fashion sustainability through repair. So she was really looking at her case study is a repair cafe that she has set up in her university. Um, and the different reasons why people would mend clothes. And I think there were some similar things um, in all of them in terms of like this idea of reusing. Um, but the first paper was looking at a business model and then my paper was looking more at um, the designer's perspective and then the third paper was looking at the consumer's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought actually what was most interesting about um, the whole panel was that you guys were all coming in from your own experiences as well, mm, right? And yeah. I mean, Monica was talking about how she grew up mending her clothes yeah. you know, because she's um, she's older, she's significantly older than, you know, she said this herself, right? The other panelists. Um, and she said like, you know, it's just something that's done. It's like not anything that we think about or not anything that's considered trendy, like, ooh, sustainability. Yeah. You know, it's just how life is lived yes. and actually some people asked her in the end right at the panel discussion about what she thought of fast fashion or like how things are so different from before um, and I remember one um, audience member in particular was talking about how actually there is an obstacle to mending because not many people know how to sew anymore mm. um, so the speaker I don't know her name but she was from Ghana and she said that in Ghana oh, yes. she basically had to sew as part of the school curriculum for yep. like 12 or 13 years or something like that. So it's something that she does. Um, so that was an interesting viewpoint. Tiziana Ferrero-Regis, I think that was her ah, name. Okay. She gave a lot of like interesting commentary in many of the panels that I attended. And yeah, and her question to me or her comment to me or even kind of a provocation was that if we look at waste or like secondhand clothing as as a resource, then we are kind of encouraging more consumption, which is totally the case. <laughs> yeah, and I believe um, someone else mentioned that sometimes by upcycling, you don't necessarily add value. Yes, so that was from another lecturer. Um, I think she teaches in the RMIT. Let me just pull up her name. Um, yes, so her name is Georgia McCorkill, and she presented that day later on visual stock take piece to make poetic processes for redes for designing from waste. So she was also looking for at upcycling, but she's reframing the vocabulary. So I think we're still looking at similar things about how to bring out something like a spirit from previous from old clothing to make something contemporary. Um, but she does this as a practitioner and as a lecturer. But yeah, she said that. She said sometimes she looks at her students' upcycling projects and she wonders, is that really better than if yeah. it was hanging <laughs> in the shop? Yeah, exactly. So something to think about. Um, but, you know, after the two days of the conference, we were 
pretty much fried, right? Our oh, brains were pretty much my fried. There brain was, was fried. Yeah, yeah, there was too much information, <laughs> too much um, that but, was yeah. wrong but, with the fashion industry. But that, that was, always happens, no? In conferences, yeah. don't you feel like it, it's quite intense to sit down and listen to different ideas and presentations and... I guess that's how students feel when they come to school every day. Probably, <laughs> yeah. And to, like, rethink as well your own research, you know. Mm. Um, so, like, the lead-up to it, you're, like, preparing and re-preparing your presentation. And then after that, you have to, you know, present it. And then it's under scrutiny. But I feel like the more conferences we, we have gone to, the more we are comfortable with it. Um, and I remember, like, my very first conference, I felt like any question asked of me was, like, an attack of something. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's not good enough or, or something like that. But... I've since learned that, you know, everybody's just trying their best to uh, figure things out and, you know, just learning from each other. And I've gotten really good points um, from conferences so that my research becomes stronger, more rigorous, or I know of, you know, another perspective, another lens to look at it from. Um, but after those two days, you know, we had like a half a day thing at the NGV and that was really nice. Um, we went to see the Collecting Com show and we're going to talk about that in our next episode. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm.